Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is Steps to Intuitive and Integrated Government. What we are seeing today is the, the digital madness or the digital revolution. We also are seeing socioeconomic and political shifts. And, and we have citizens who are demanding uh, a value-centric experience, which altogether would require government to take a step back, rethink, reset, and reimagine how they are offering their services, how they are working internally with their systems, the processes, the talent, and the tools. And the end goal is so that the government becomes intuitive and integrated and intelligently work with the citizens to deliver the value they're seeking. That said, I'd like to invite here Paul Wagner, uh, the CI of National Research Council Canada. Hey, Paul, how are you? Excellent. How are you doing? Very good, sir. Thank you. And also have Tarek Tomes, who's the CIO with State of Minnesota. Hey, Tarek, how's life? Oh, it's fantastic. How are you today? Very good. Cannot complain. God is kind. Life is beautiful. So with with the topic that we have today, maybe I'll, I'll start with you, Paul. You know, governments have always attempted to be as fast as they can. And of course, there are natural barriers to going as fast as in many cases, private sector. But when we are talking about looking at the future and becoming intentional that, yes, we want to transform ourselves and also to obtain clarity on where we want to go. What do you think is the current state at that level? Do we do we have our our clarity and the blueprints in place? Uh, it's a great question to start from, and I think you know um, the we often use the word digital, and certainly in, in Canada, you know, we talk about digital government, and and, uh, and and that's a loaded word. Everybody looks at that from different angles. I think you know digital is a bit of a Trojan horse um, because what it's doing is it's uh, forcing organizations, government, and industry to look at their technology, their processes. Uh, and their policies, and and see if they're actually still relevant in in 2019. And I think, you know, the one of the biggest barriers uh, that certainly government faces and within, within the government of Canada is a lot of the policy uh, statements and policies that we have in place. Some of them, you know, are 20, 30, 40 years old. And so, if you try to adopt policy uh, stances to deliver services to citizens or to businesses and apply that in the digital world, um, it's, it's not congruent. And so I think, you know, certainly here in Canada, we're going through a policy reset uh, and, and looking at modernizing uh, our policies to allow for the kind of things, the kind of data sharing that makes sense in a digital world to be able to deliver citizen-centric services. We're looking at uh, ways that, um, you know, we can share information between government organizations. Um, government is in the business of trust. And, and that trust uh, is the currency with which our citizens work and, and, and certainly uh, expect from, uh, from government. And, and so there's a, there's a balance there to make sure that while we want to be as, um, uh, I guess, in front of or at least you know, in, in line with the digital um, economy of today, 
we still need to respect that trust relationship that citizens and businesses have with government. And so I think there's, that's going to be always a natural tension. Uh, but I do think digital is, is and, and everything that's, that surrounds it, the speed with which that we need to start to look at um, service delivery and reacting to socioeconomic, as you mentioned, you know, socioeconomic trends, uh, you know, gone are the days where that can be, you know, a group of people that go sit in a room and figure out what the next steps need to take, and that's, you know, multi-year discussions. Um, citizens are expecting governments to be reactive and, in some cases, proactive, um, given the types of, uh, of activities that are underway today. So I think, you know, digital is forcing CIOs, presidents of organizations, deputy ministers, and ministers to start rethinking about how we... Uh, set up our processes, what kind of technology we leverage, and, and as I mentioned, the biggest piece for me is that policy uh, angle. I don't know, Tarek, is that, are you seeing the same thing? You know, uh, it's a great question, and, and I love your answer. I think uh, one of the things that's really important that's kind of key uh, to this uh, entire topic surrounding digitization of government is intentionality, and it's really a firm understanding of the services that government provides, where digital opportunities exist, the current maturity of those digital services, and ultimately the impact that a further digitization can have as it relates to service delivery. One of the, one of the biggest differentiators between the public sector and private sector doesn't really lie within the technology options or the ability to bring technology solutions forth. It it really lies in that stakeholder uh, engagement component for for government, and 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 certainly I think it's true uh, no matter what what country we serve or, or or you know what municipality we serve, we have a responsibility to make sure that digital services are available for everyone in an equitable way that creates opportunities for everyone in a consistent manner. Uh, private sector organizations certainly have target markets, and and you know, maybe at times a little less concerned about the broad reach and inequities as it relates to just having digital capabilities available to take uh, advantage of some of these services. For us, one of the things that I think is, is really profound is kind of what I've referred to as the role of the CEO. Uh, in our case, it's, you know, the governor of Minnesota and, and setting forth a clear vision that we can then, as a state government, kind of rally behind related to the opportunities that digital services provide. In smaller municipalities and cities, uh, innovation and design thinking at times is a little bit more pervasive as uh, philanthropic organizations like Bloomberg uh, have really pushed a culture of innovation. Uh, I think the cultural component of this is, is really important. Digitization of services and, and, and leveraging those capabilities really isn't technology thing per se it's an organizational wide thing it's it's both the business side as well as the technologists that have to combine to really understand the impact on people and the important role that keeping people at the center of these solutions play i i I really love this question now given paul you you mentioned the term trust which is very very important no doubt about that but let's look at government not inside out but outside in the people who are outside could be your partners who could be your vendors or otherwise partners or in fact the customer which is your citizen citizen definitely want to be able to trust the government but at the same time they have equal uh, focus on how efficiently 
does it run it does not waste my tax dollars and what do they do with that tax dollar those tax dollars and how effectively does it deliver the services i should be getting and not just stay what i was doing a decade ago have government evolve at the speed of life the way it's evolving today isn't that what a customer want but our governments yeah. looking and establishing the strategies and their thoughts and this everything else that they're doing around that sentiment yeah no absolutely i mean i think you're right i mean the demands especially you know generational i think we're starting to see those shifts and um you know and it, it, it is actually uh, cross generational as well i mean we're you know we're certainly being pushed by the millennials in terms of um you know agile is, is the only way they're expecting the services to be delivered uh, i mean here in canada we actually uh, it, it is so important to us that we have a minister of digital uh, so our minister of the treasury board currently is also the minister of uh, of digital and uh, and that was that that's very recent that was in the last couple of years that that position was was uh, was created and it's really a nod to the fact that you know there's there's a shift right in terms of becoming more agile more open exactly as you said um you know the we had uh, for the last uh number of years had an open government um activity underway and you know that that open government um initiative spans things uh from uh items like proactive disclosure putting things out uh from a transparency perspective i think in in the united states it's called freedom of information uh so you know in canada it's, it's access to information um and the goal is to put as much information in the open domain we have an open data portal where we uh post um uh, records uh, uh information about expenditure information about programs data that uh, that can actually be consumed by uh the private sector and and used as well so there's the the reporting side of it but then there's also government creates incredible amounts of data um you know for us the weather service here in Canada creates uh, an enormous amount of data that's all put into our our open data portal and uh either directly or through APIs can be accessed by uh private sector by citizens to then create value from that um on the uh, on one of the interesting pieces on the proactive disclosure um at the national research council what we what we've done here is we've actually even leveraged blockchain um as a uh as a test and we've taken our proactive disclosure so all the information we have uh about you know government contracts and so forth and we've piloted which is already in the open domain but we've piloted leveraging blockchain in a small company here in Canada uh and and helping them get their legs but also having us test out the blockchain methodology so i think you know one of the the, the interesting things we're seeing is a shift in terms of as we become more agile as a government is our ability to partner with small and medium enterprises across the country to test out some of these ideas whereas in the past um you know you'd have a policy statement or you'd have a, a direction you're trying to go in which would lead to some you know formal request for proposal process which would take months if not years large companies would win those things you get into the design and build phase and by the time you designed and built the actual service or application that you're you're hoping for um you know the time had overtaken you and that requirement may or not even be valid anymore and certainly i think you know citizens expectations were that things were delivered uh, well in the past so i i love the kind of um concept of government as a platform and and leveraging uh some of the small and medium enterprises that 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 exist in our ecosystem to be able to start to test delivering some of our our services 
So this is a very interesting concept, Paul, you mentioned. So Tarek, when you look at government, do you think they would be served well by us? Number one, of course, showing the transparency in all the data that we have generated. It's made available in a usable form. And then instead of using a command and control structure where we say this is how government is going to function and that decision is made in an ivory tower, you actually become inclusive not only of just the citizens, but anyone else who wants to build upon it, like as Paul said, like making a platform, and then take allow the innovation to take it to the next level versus waiting for some government bureaucracy to chain it down. Do you think this is you know, I, this is possible? And is and, and Paul, Paul is trying to do it, but when you look at scaling it, do you, what, what are your thoughts on scaling this? You know, I think it's it's absolutely possible. One of the things that exists here in the United States that uh, is is incredibly complex is service delivery to residents from a governmental perspective happens in a lot of different jurisdictions. It may happen at a local city level, at a county level, at a state level, and, and at times at a federal level. And each one of these levels uh, contain data uh, that is important as it relates to the transactions and services. From a citizen perspective, you're really only dealing with government, and, and you really want to have service delivery kind of through one pane of glass where there is an ability in the back end to combine all of those different uh, service aspects. I think the design-centered approach that you know really includes uh, residents and people in the forefront of the solutions that we create. We had an initiative where we were working on housing barriers for our reentry workforce. And, and that work really started with interviewing all the various stakeholders, interviewing uh, both currently and formerly incarcerated folks, interviewing landlords, led to larger ideation sessions where we invited people into ideate. And ultimately then, a number of different uh, solutions or potential solutions that we can ideate around things like Tinder applications that can connect landlords to residents. And I don't think you find your way to those types of possible solutions without a more inclusive approach that includes the stakeholders that you're trying to create solutions for. And at times, inviting them in to the solution space. Certainly, open information portals are incredibly important. And then creating a construct that connects a variety of different open information portals that that creates even more powerful data sets that can be used to create services that citizens and residents expect. On that point, one of the things that we've done in Canada as well is from an open engagement perspective, um, we actually, so as we developed our digital uh, guidelines and guiding principles, we actually open that up to citizen engagement and tell us, you know, what do you think? Are, are, we, are we going in the right direction? And again, technology, you know, makes that possible. If you say, if you go back 10, 15 years and thinking about developing a, uh, whether it's a policy or a direction in government and, and asking citizens, uh, it, it, you know, cumbersome to the point of probably being uh, not viable. Whereas now, um, you know, we can put a question out to, to the public and, and see, are we outside, offside? Um, and I think that's, that's a great way to engage your, your citizens, your stakeholders, um, and, and, and get that clarity of direction, um, you know, right up front, right? It's not afterwards where you get the, you fill out the client survey and say, you know, boy, did you miss the mark or, or, Hey, great service. Love it. Um, you know, they're involved in the actual creation of the, of the solutions. Now, one idea which both of you are uh, sharing is to be inclusive. Let the citizens provide you or rather play a part in the very solutioning, and that will automatically result in better adoption. Totally get that. Now, another is to start thinking 
that our our are our new discoveries and innovation going to be dependent on what our citizens tell us or could we play steve jobs and show them a version of innovation which they could not even think was possible and wow them so are we looking at government creation or or rather innovating in an incremental fashion being inclusive keeping the the citizens happy is that what we are doing or we are sometimes rattling them certain certain you know sometimes total wowing them and shocking them but all in the interest of the citizens getting the most value are we are we looking to or are we even open to playing steve jobs and doing that disruptive innovation centric effort you know Tarek, in, Tarek, in, yeah, yeah Tarek, you're taking this yeah you know certainly i i think uh from a government perspective uh the disruption and you know trying to bring forth uh new and bold ways of doing things is really the only way to achieve different outcomes when you look at the uh some of the challenges that government and 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 countries and cities and states uh face in in Minnesota we have tremendous disparities uh related to education related to employment related to a number of different socioeconomic factors and and continuing to try harder in in the same way you know probably won't fundamentally change some of those things i think one of the you know really keys in those areas is the partnerships that you develop both with you know the technology vendor community as well as uh partnerships that you develop with universities and and other educational uh institutions that allow for a broader bolder uh approach to some of the solutioning when we approach our vendor community and 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 the technology space with the evolution of cloud-based services has really made the attainment of innovative technology solutions really similar for private and 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 public sector organizations the the days of having to deploy complex things on premise you know really at times created a bigger gap for public sector organizations to have the same types of capabilities and innovation capabilities now with cloud constructs you know you're really starting with a similar same innovation platforms and i think engaging those private sector organizations that solve complex problems for you know other private sector organizations global globally and and trying to leverage some of those global private sector solutions and opportunities within the public sector is is a tremendous opportunity just like leveraging universities and making sure that you include them into the redesign and reimagining of services and how services are going to be provided if you think about some of the things that are coming at us whether it's 5G cellular uh, technology or autonomous vehicles fundamentally the way you know our world is operating is going to change quite significantly and it's important that government is on the forefront of reimagining what that means from a government service delivery perspective and so i do think there is a space and a role that government has to create out for intentional disruption for intentional uh change in in how it operates let's take a quick break listeners we will be right back after these messages and uh, when we come back paul we should start thinking about or rather extend the conversation in terms of partnership because eventually the service delivery is no longer just to be handled internally and you want your partners and your internal people work seamlessly they may have different agenda they may have different profit motive government may come from a different uh, line of thinking how do you converge the two keeping customer at the forefront 
and deliver service that wows people, exceed their expectations, and you earn your stripes as a good government. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So, uh, coming back... To this, uh, Paul, a question for you about the internal or external partnerships you may be building or attempting to build to create an integrated service delivery and at the same time staying customer-centric. What are you trying and what's working and not working? Perfect. And, and I'll, I'll hit that question up in a second, but I just want to follow on one thing that Derek mentioned just before the break. Um, you know, in terms of, of talking about the kind of... Um, uh, demographics and, and, the, and the workforce that we're drawing into government these days. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before, but, you know, digital being a bit of a Trojan horse and changing a, a lot of different things when you start to unpack what digital means for an organization. But what it's meant for, for us in, in government is that, you know, uh, the hiring processes, um, you know, which is the furthest thing away from, if you think about from delivering citizen service, um, is really, you know, one of the things that needed to be modernized. And, and as we started to look at delivering digital services, we said, well, if we're, if we're hiring in the traditional way of going out for competition and you've got a whole bunch of statement of, of merits and people have to uh, meet those and, and meet a whole bunch of different criteria for what is seen in a lot of cases as being a very long-term career with the public service, and then you kind of juxtapose that with, well, we want to have people that have uh, recent experience, that have experience potentially in, in similar sectors, um, and we want to get them in to help us work on something in an agile fashion, and then and then maybe that thing either succeeds or doesn't, but they move on and move into a different world, of, you know, the, the gig economy. Um, we've actually modernized our, our hiring practices to allow for that type of, of, uh, of recruitment. And so we're seeing, you know, folks come in from, the, the, uh, from industry, from academia, work with government for short stints for three to six, nine months, help build the service, and then they either move on to another, you know, job within the, the federal government or move out to industry. And so we're starting to see this porousness between the private sector and the public sector, which I think is fantastic. I think it's necessary. Uh, and certainly as we move to digital, I think that's going to be one of the one of the key pieces. So, you know, this is, again, just another sort of element of the government uh, bureaucracy, and I say that with all due respect, that, that is getting shifted uh, as a result of digital. So uh, now that I've eaten up that uh, part of the time of my, my answering my question, in terms of partnerships and, 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 you know, working together at delivering services, I think, you know, it's great. You've got the CIO from, from Minnesota on. You've got a CIO from the federal government in Canada on. And I think, you know, it demonstrates as a citizen, as a, uh, as a client, um, you know, they're looking for the technology to be the intermediary 
for, for services. And they don't care. Citizens don't care which department is delivering which services. And, and in some cases, um, you know, citizens don't care whether it's the, the, the federal government or the state provincial government or the municipal government that's delivering a service. They know that it's a service that's delivered by, you know, G government, and they just want to transact. So they want to get the fishing license. They want to get the park license. They want to, they just bought a boat. They want to change the registration on the boat. Um, they don't care which government department it is, which agency it is. And so I think that's forcing a lot of partnerships, um, you know, and they want to be able to do it on Alexa. They're going, hey, Alexa, I'm going to uh, fishing in, you know, uh, Major Lake next week, and uh, I need to renew my fishing license. And so can you book me, uh, you know, a place to park my trailer? And uh, I also need to get a, a fishing license. And they, they don't care whether that's a provincial or a state government decision or, or service or a federal government service. And I think, again, that's going to start to forge and, and force the dialogue between governments so that the the citizen doesn't be, isn't the intermediary of all of the services that are available to them. The technology becomes the intermediary, and I think that kind of um, uh, focus. And again, thinking of government as platform, uh, could private sector somehow work into that as well? I, I think absolutely. Over time, I think we have to. And, and you know, that, again, it goes back to that trust relationship. Um, as we start to build out, I mean, again, here in Canada, we use banking credentials to be able to access certain government services. We've, we've created those partnerships to allow for an, a citizen to use their existing trusted relationship with a bank. And I know the banking industry in Canada is, is, is different than, than the States, but uh, it, 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 there are probably some parallels there in terms of being able to say, I already have this trust relationship over here. Leverage that to allow me to access uh, my government services. So that those, those partnerships are already starting to be uh, to be forged. I don't know, Tarek, is the same as the same in the states and in Minnesota, but um, we're seeing it here. You know, what, just picking up on the the, the first uh, point that you made, one of the things that I think is really important and that we try to leverage to its fullest is using the opportunities and the challenges that exist within government as a competitive advantage to attract you know, really a forward-thinking uh, technologist that is really interested in using innovative technology. And, and we're having tremendous success in, you know, using that really as a uh, huge competitive advantage. My way of uh, an example, we recently uh, created an application that helps with uh, potential large-scale infectious disease uh, outbreaks that, uh, you know, really could... Uh, have a devastating impact uh, on people and, and certainly on our region. Essentially, you know, if there was a huge infectious disease uh, outbreak, how do you vaccinize, uh, vaccinate 100,000 people and, and where do they go? And, and we used uh, cloud construct, serverless technology, you know, like all the various premises that one would expect, uh, the ability to scale up demand, scale down demand, to create a mobile application that allows people to generate a barcode, uh, provides them with information for where they can go from a clinic perspective. And so it allows for a large group of people to receive the information that they need to walk into a place with a barcode and receive potentially the, the vaccination that can save their lives. The solutioning space that we created to do that being all cloud-based, you know, really leveraging, you know, really the most modern of innovative technology that's available is an incredibly attractive tool to use to attract technologists and, and certainly the folks working in that space, as well as ones that are prospective uh, employees of ours have, have referenced 
wanting to have a chance to work on those things. In public sector, we have unbelievably rich IoT environments, and, and, and so the ability for technologists to, to really uh, have a chance to work on incredibly complex things that you know, could be hugely beneficial for their careers ongoing uh, is, is a huge competitive uh, advantage. As it relates to, you know, more specifically the question that you asked, I think, uh, as Paul alluded to, and I think it's absolutely correct, cities have done relatively well in terms of creating a more tight-knit community of, of uh, organizations that share opportunities and that share uh, potential solutions between each other. Uh, it's not uncommon for, you know, Sydney, Australia to share a solution with with. Uh, you know, Madrid or, or with St. Paul, Minnesota. And I think continuing to kind of build cultures that allow public sector, irrespective of, you know, where and what level of public sector to share uh, in the types of digital solutions that they provide and, and to create forums uh, for collaborative thinking. Ultimately, you know, some of the experiences are very similar in terms of the stakeholders that we engage with and, and the need to really provide the highest value services and to create a culture within public sector that is value-oriented. Uh, and so creating those collaborative spaces, I think, is incredibly important that allows different governmental entities, uh, irrespective of location, to share in you know, both the solution as well as in the ideation and, 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 and to have that opportunity together with vendors to kind of think a little bit more boldly. Paul, you did mention about the data, the democratization of data so that's available for people. So that's, that's visibility, that transparency, and it has its value. But then there's something to be said about a lot of data being made available. Other people are trying to make uh, whatever sense they want to make out of it. But what about taking a proactive step as government to do some appropriate data and analytics and don't let that data lake convert into a data swamp and provide mechanisms to your internal people and even to the citizens so that we start looking at everything in a more predictive and proactive manner where it gives us data how to sense the citizens need in advance. And also when we respond, we are not, it's not an afterthought. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. It's not a reaction. It is a response. So are we thinking and working on data and analytics at that level? Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's a great question. And I mean, you know, the, the, the conversation, um, you know, over over the, the last 20 years has, has, you know, moved from, we started talking about technology, um, you know, 20 years ago, onset of the internet and so forth. And then, or it's like 30 years now, and we, and we start to move towards um, uh, information management. That was, you know, that became the thing. So how do we manage our our unstructured information, and and now we're moving to data because you know we clearly we see the value of data, whether it's through you know uh, artificial intelligence algorithms or or simply having the data to be able to do that type the, the analytics to uh, to provide better services to clients and citizens, and so I think we're seeing a maturation of of, of dialogue uh, throughout the levels of of government. And, you know, certainly here in Canada, um, you know the uh, the CIO. Um, uh, a couple of months ago, the CEO for the government of Canada, you know, put out a call in all deputy ministers. So that's the highest level of bureaucratic uh, position within a government department. Uh, we're required to put together data strategies, and so you know, getting that concept and that the dialogue happening in organizations around what kind of data do we have? Because in, in Canada, um, a lot of the, the ministries of the departments 
uh, have similar data on on citizens, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, their their tombstone data, where they live, uh, you know, uh, what their uh, occupation is, and so forth. And and then we've got the bespoke information that's relative relevant to each of the different programs. And um, as you start to de- deliver services and, and the data that's available to help deliver those services, be it you know, as you mentioned, you know, the predictive data. Um, we have to start to think about how we get away from creating these data swamps. Uh, I think you're, that's a, you know, you're absolutely right with that. And, and too often, I mean, we're, we're living in the world of, of data swamps today, and it's creating that curated uh, data set and, you know, at, at the macro level to be able to understand uh, and have the, the, the professionals from a data analytics perspective to be able to do that work. It's, you can't just simply take the individuals that are you know, involved with program delivery today and expect them to be data scientists and data analysts. Uh, it, is, it is a very separate skill set and one that I think, you know, as we talk about the maturation of, of uh, you know, CIO shops around the globe, uh, in the past, I would say, you know, a CIO was largely a chief technology officer. You know, his or her job every day was to make sure that the lights were blinking green and that the, uh, you know, the network was, was functioning. Then we moved into, you know, the idea of, of, of CIOs being, you know, really chief information officers. Okay, well, we, we, the technology is kind of, you know, pretty stable. We, we understand how that works. Uh, now what about the information? How are we moving information around? What's the value of information? How do we actually dispose of information? And I think now we're seeing the role of CIOs moving towards, you know, we talk about being chief digital officers or chief data officers, and and they're really moving up in terms of the hierarchy of an organization and understanding, you know, if you're an Amazon or you're the government of Canada or you're the government of Minnesota, how do you leverage data to actually compete if you're in a competitive world um, or, or to deliver the highest value services. And so I think we're seeing that maturation and citizens are expecting that those curated data sets to be available not only to government to deliver better services, but to uh, to industry through open data uh, platforms as we discussed before. You know, if, if I could just uh, add, I, I think the data and analytics space, you know, just kind of really broadly using that definition represents probably one of the biggest opportunities for government to really exploit one of the largest, you know, kind of held value things and make much, much more intelligence use of it. Uh, in Minnesota, for example, at, at the state government level, we support about 3,000 line of business applications that, you know, literally represents billions of transactions. And creating deeper insights into real-time data that allow us to see uh, the benefit of investments in certain services and the impact on people of certain services allows you to much more proactively uh, intentionally invest in certain areas. One of the things that I think is really, really important as we you know, think about these data sets and then you know, ultimately combining these data sets together to create you know, even more powerful opportunities is we can't forget whose data it is and, and the role that that people and citizens play and should play in really making sure that they understand, you know, how their data is being leveraged uh, and and the controls that are surrounding this for, you know, uses, the positive uses of data sets. There are certainly negative uses of data sets that we see coming about from public sector frequently. And I think, you know, that transparency and extending, 
you know, kind of the, the data ownership and data governance model to make sure it includes people is incredibly important. The predictive nature of it and, and the use of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and other algorithms just represents such an incredible opportunity. And we have to make sure that we're incredibly mindful uh, that the types of artificial intelligence algorithms that we use uh, don't create larger disparities, that, you know, there is intentionality surrounding the ethical use and, 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 and making sure that, you know, we're very measured. It's, it's an, it's a enormous, enormous opportunity that I think public sector should heavily invest in, but we have to invite many, many people into that, uh, into that conversation. I sit on a strategy council here in Canada of uh, a group of CIOs, uh, it's probably about 50 CIOs from uh, private sector and public sector, and we actually just worked at, at creating um, ethical standards for AI, um, you know, for, for Canada. And so, you know, those, those standards, and, and those are approved standards by the Standards Council of Canada, uh, those are, are now ensconced in, uh, in the framework for how organizations should actually leverage AI and, and use the, those tools ethically. So that leads back to the whole privacy and security element that you're talking about, Tarek David. You know, we're, we've actually gone that extra step and said, you know, there is a standard on how uh, AI should be deployed in an ethical uh, manner. Uh, absolutely. And, and certainly when you combine data sets together, we, we had an initiative uh, some time back that combined data sets from school systems, from cities, from counties, with the goal being to use data and predictive analytics to provide opportunities proactively to students. And, and it's really important in this case, you know, that you engage with, you know, the residents and citizens whose students' data is going to be involved in that so that they fully understand, you know, how that data may be used. Uh, the predictive nature of it is a, you know, it's, it's a really tough term. Uh, related to government services and, 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 you know, what it potentially at times insinuates. And so the transparency of the opportunity and, and the proactive engagement is, you know, ultimately the, 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 what will facilitate the greatest opportunities. One of the things that, you know, as a just kind of a guiding principle that we always use with our folks is the faster we can innovate and create solutions, the quicker the positive impact on people and, and the people that are waiting you know, on this innovation to improve outcomes for themselves. They don't ever get those days back. And so the ability for us to make sure that we're proactively engaging, that we're always people-centered with these solutions, ultimately gets us quicker to those meaningful solutions. Yeah, couldn't let's agree more. Yes, yeah, so, so let's take a quick break. Uh, listeners, we'll be right back. And let's talk about the culture of innovation. We have spoken about innovation in different flavors. And in fact, all your responses somehow insinuate that there is some innovation going on. But should we be one-trick wonders? Or should it be something where we can say we have a sustained, incremental, and disruptive, all flavors of innovation happening at all times, so that we turn around our governments the way we want them to uh, change to, and they become that intuitive and integrated. So what does it take to build a culture of innovation for governments? Let's explore that. When we come back, please stay tuned. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global 
Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Tarek, we speak about a lot of changes that we want to bring about and we want to innovate. And yes, innovation happens in pockets, in private sector and government both. But for us to really stay ahead of the curve and be able to proactively meet how the citizens are shifting, we've got to have innovation in the very DNA of the organization, which means to build a culture of innovation. Do you have a recipe? Well, uh, I don't know if I have a recipe, uh, but I certainly have a, you know, an opinion and a little bit of uh, experience uh, prior to assuming this role as chief information officer. I, I have served uh, in a role as chief innovation officer, um, and you know, kind of the intent uh, of those roles generally is to raise the value of what you're doing and to, to be disruptive. One of the things that government as a whole is kind of, you know, one of the kind of fundamental uh, next step questions is, how do you sell the proposition of innovation to the people that fund government, meaning residents? How do you propose the question of, let's set aside a certain amount of, of you know, really difficult taxpayer funds or other revenue sources for the hope of innovating uh, uh, or creating different solutions? And I think both in the private sector and the public sector, you know, we've seen over the last, you know, five years or so a proliferation of innovation labs and, and, and everyone has an innovation office and chief innovation officers and innovation capacities. And certainly there's a lot of good that comes out of those, but those, you know, tend to be, you know, kind of finite uh, potentially if they don't become an organic part of the organization. And innovation cannot be something that is held within a technology organization. It has to become a fundamental value pillar of an organization. It has to exist really in every corner of the organization and how it thinks. I think one of the prerequisite steps is really adopting a culture that values how to use data to analyze and measure results that is really heavily data-driven as it relates to service delivery and and service opportunity and that can look for uh, innovative opportunities. I think the uh, human-centered design and design thinking component to this is an incredible uh, catalyst for it. Within government, we solve many, many, many problems every year, and we have a lot of really intelligent, smart people that that come up with really found solutions that, that move things forward. I think adopting a more consistent framework to solution solving, uh, leveraging design thinking that really intentionally guides us through interview processes, putting uh, things into themes, making sure that there's ideation surrounding these themes, that we're you know, engaging with, with people, that we're inviting people into those conversations is, is fundamentally very important. Government can't be afraid to fail. We've all had you know, really large-scale environments and systems that uh, potentially didn't go very well. The scrutiny is always going to be incredibly large when taxpayer uh, dollars are 
not utilized uh, effectively, and, and that's something that we just have to understand as public sector. But it can't cause us to retreat. We have to continue to be bold with the potential solutions that we put forth. We had a driver and vehicle system uh, that we launched years ago that was launched a little bit prematurely, and it caused a lot of uh, issues for, for citizens and residents that were you know, looking to uh, have very fundamental services fulfilled. And the public scrutiny of those types of things tends to lend or lead to a much more conservative approach. And I think it's important from a leadership perspective and a support perspective that a culture of investing in our future is a fundamental core component. It's, it's one of those core value investment vehicles that needs to exist and that has to be intentionally carved out for government. So, Paul, uh, based on uh, Tarek's response, by the way, a great response, Tarek, uh, and you've lived this role, so definitely coming from the horse's mouth here. Now, what you mentioned is also intriguing that government may have the sentiment of fear of failure to innovate. So, Paul, healthy doesn't mean lack of disease. What I mean to say is, if suppose I could remove that fear of failure, that doesn't make me an innovator either. That that could be a starting point. So, do we have multiple hoops to jump through before we can call government as innovative? And if yes, what are those hoops? That's, that's a great question. I mean, you know, when you start talking about government, you're talking about obviously, you know, a, a large, a, a large organization, um, you know, and and one as we mentioned before, built on trust. But I think uh, so. There's a couple of levels to this. So you know, in, in innovation. Uh, you know, again, we go back two years. You know, you'd have an innovation lab somewhere where you'd have you know walls you could write on, and and people would go in there and come up with ideas. We call that innovation. Um, you know, and and now I think. Um, you know, as organizations move forward, um, you know, that innovation label got stuck on a lot of things and it really kind of, um, it, it lost its integrity in terms of what innovation really, really is. Um, it's a little bit like big data, like that became the big term for a long time and, and it was used, you know, people was talking about big data and it was just a big data set. Well, okay, that wasn't really big data, but fine, it, it, it gets the, the term out there. I think today innovation is is really just a part of the natural evolution of organizations, and I think um, you know that's starting to be seen more and more. And I love Tarek's point around failing fast and, and, and accepting failure within government. We certainly, you know, uh, within our new concept in terms of working digital, working agile, yeah, failure is going to be a, a part of it. And as you said, you have to make sure that that's mitigated and and uh, and contained because the public scrutiny is is significant as it should be. Um, the, um, I think that the, the interesting piece though is you can have, you know, if you look at the federal, the Canadian federal government, somewhere between 250, 300,000 people, and then you have a political level above that. And, and so you can start to create innovation or pockets of innovation within, uh, the bureaucracy in terms of service delivery, um, and, and starting to create, you know, we, we have an organization called Canadian, Canada Digital Service. And it was a new organization that was set up, and, and it was kind of allowed to be very different than other organizations within the federal government in the way that it, was, it set up its structure, in the way that it, it delivers its services. And it's kind of a clearinghouse for a lot of the digital services that we're trying to develop. And so, you know, people are saying, well, that's a very innovative department. Well, 
it is uh, an organization. It is the way it was set up, but that's probably the way that we're going to, as we start to roll out new organizations within the Canadian federal government, we'll probably see it following that model or some version of that model, and it won't be seen as innovative anymore. It'll just be seen as evaluative. Um, but the, the level that, you know, you have to make sure, because certainly in, in the Canadian, the Westminster system that we have in, in, for government, is ministers are ultimately responsible for the services that their departments are providing. And so it's bringing them along and, and bringing them to the level of comfort uh, in the public sector to be agile, to, to accept failure and to react to failure quickly to, to mitigate and, and to limit the, the uh um, the outcomes, the negative outcomes of that, but really understanding and having a political layer of government that is um, thinking in those terms. And, I, and I, you know, I do. I'll turn back to. You know, I think one of the things I said at the beginning of the the, uh, the talk was that we do have a minister of digital, and in that, all of those things that I've been talking around around open government and digital standards and so forth, they fall under the purview of that minister, and that minister. You know, he he goes to or she goes to her her colleagues in 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 cabinet. And she's charged with making sure that as we roll out programs and services in the federal government at the ministerial level, that discussion around what it means to be digital and what it means to be innovative as a government are being had not only by, you know, the CIOs and the, and the, the digital teams and the IT organizations, but also at the highest level. And I think you have to have that span of discussion, you know, from the working level all the way up to the, the most senior political level to make sure that, you know, you're not running amok at, at, at uh, or, or I guess against the, the political will. Because um, if you have a political uh, layer that is risk-averse, doesn't accept failure, and is looking to be very... Um, uh, closed in terms of the way that services are delivered, and then you have a bureaucracy that's trying to do something different. That's you know that's not going to work. And so we're lucky here in Canada that we have that that ecosystem that allows that to uh, to flourish. So, uh, Tarek, when you look at the overall level, since you worked in innovation, right? You were the chief innovation officer. Would you say there are very defined, discrete stages that an organization evolves through? And if you were to compare the overall industry across industry benchmarks, how would you say that would be any different for government, a typical government? If you were to invite business or, sorry, government leaders and uh, the CIOs to work on this as a consultant coming outside in, how would you have taken them through this evolution exercise? You know, I do think there are very uh, discrete uh, stages and, and, and levels to you know, the maturity uh, of an organization as it relates to, you know, the, uh, culture of, of innovation. And I think it gets back a little bit to what I was, uh, one of the things I mentioned in the beginning, that the role of the CEO and, and the role that a CEO in the private sector plays compared to, you know, the role of a government CEO, in our case, uh, the governor, that, it, you know, it, it, it has the potential to really, uh, take an enterprise collaborative approach that pulls uh, agencies and cabinets together uh, towards uh, delivering a certain set of services in, in different ways or functioning in, in silos. And in Minnesota, we're really fortunate that we have a really incredibly strong strategic vision from our governor that you know really is, is uh, embracing it and, and, and really in every essence uh, conveys that role of the CEO. And I think when you look at private sector organizations compared to public sector organizations, you know, that culture pervasively exists related to we're going to raise, 
you know, stakeholder value organization-wide. Uh, if you look at, you know, private sector organizations that are home here in Minnesota, like 3M, they have a culture of innovation and sharing that exists in every corner of the organization. Employees are, are given a, uh, given 15% of time uh, to work on things across the organization, no matter where they may be, that are not necessarily just within their particular job area. And those type of constructs uh, generally are somewhat foreign still to government. But I think it's really important to create that space so that the workforce feels uh, uh, enabled and, 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 and really feels supported to look for opportunities across uh, other areas. As it relates to digital service, I think it's really important to make sure that there are defined goals and objectives for us in Minnesota uh, from a digital services perspective. We, we expect digital services uh, to provide service more effectively, to collect better data, uh, to build trust through an improved customer journey uh, to provide new services with, with greater agility. And then, you know, we have, a, have measurements that we uh, attempt to uh, capture against that to help, you know, guide us as it relates to where are we, the number of digital services provided to stakeholders and the percent of revenue generated through digital services and number of digital service opportunities that are available so that there is intentionality surrounding the opportunities that may exist where, you know, we can make sure that we're uh, actively pursuing some of those things. 30 seconds each, starting with you, Paul. What would you fix in yourself and or other government leaders in terms of their mindset, you know, in context of leadership? So that oh, so an easy, organized... an, e- an easy one, an easy one to end up. <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 yeah, very quickly we have to close. So what, what would be a fix in yourself and or other leaders who are running governments as CIOs so that they can become the catalyst and lead the charge in terms of helping the government become intuitive and integrated and intelligent? Um, I'd say extending, extending beyond your four walls, partnerships, developing networks, seeing how it's done uh, not only in other governments, in private sector, in academia, and internationally, uh, raising your bar by seeing how other organizations are actually doing it creates that, you know, uh, Tarek talked about giving people time to uh, do things uh, differently. Uh, we call that self-directed research here at the National Research Council. Every researcher gets that, and they're sitting down with their partners and, and their colleagues internationally to work on new and, and innovations. I think that would be the one thing I would uh, challenge anybody to do. Tarek? You know, uh, I'm glad I was able to go second because I can just echo everything that he just said. Uh, I think that is uh, give us something correct. different. You know, <laughs> the, the thing that I would add, uh, the thing that I would add to that is uh, certainly for myself and 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 all of my peers uh, is to try to create an ability to not look at future opportunities and services through the lens of what has been done and through the lens of services that exist. Don't necessarily try to continue to improve on existing services. Think about a fundamentally different way of rendering those services. And that's really difficult. You know, when we think about the constructs that exist now, you know, we view those as we've, you know, collected taxes. We have a yearly event. We collect taxes. That's what we do. And let's improve that process. The ability to step back and fundamentally just rethink how some of those things are provided is, is probably the thing that I wish the most for myself and for others. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, Paul, for, Paul and Tarek, for sharing your insights about how governments can reimagine, reset, and rethink their culture, the processes, the talent, and the tools to become intuitive and integrated and also intelligently serve their citizens. So thanks so much for both uh, sharing your insights. Thank you so much for having us.
Thank you so much again. And listeners, hope you enjoyed. I got a bunch of nuggets out of this. So please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.